Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Life Community Church, Leamington Spa. Recorded at one of our Sunday morning services, we hope this message inspires, equips and encourages you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, really, thank you, Pastor Dave. Really good to be with you this morning. Um, This visit to uh, Life Community Church has sort of become annual, and uh, I always look forward to September time and uh, being with you. Um, Nearly four years ago, talking to Leanne before the service, that on a snowy January uh, Saturday afternoon, we we prayed your pastors into the next journey of ministry in this church and to, to see what God's been doing, uh, a great spirit in the church this morning, uh, then we're thrilled um, with the fact that God's got a great purpose for this church uh, because he loves us and because he loves us, he loves the community out there. Um, so, uh, yeah, really good to be with you. Um, my eldest daughter uh, lived in Australia for six years and uh, she lived in Melbourne for over half that time and that was her local church, Planet Shakers. Um, that was at their conference venue um, so, uh, but the local church on Sunday used to have multiple services through the day and it was a great journey for her. In fact, she was right on the cusp of applying for um, permanent residency and then just a few shifts in our hearts and she came back to live in Manchester. So I remember talking to her on the phone saying, you process this well because if you've ever been to Melbourne, it's one of the great cities of the earth. I'm not saying Manchester's not. It's just, it's just not perhaps quite as good, you know. And anyway, she navigated that. She, she met a guy. Uh, they used to be friends. She lived in Melbourne, and he's an English guy that was running a business in Poland. Never the twain shall meet. And they ended up getting married. And since I was with you last year, I've become a granddad for the first time. So that's amazing. And uh, so my little granddaughter, Charlotte Annie Hope, was born on the 15th of November last year. And you wouldn't expect me to say anything else, but she's the most beautiful baby in all of the world. And she's growing fast. And we've realized that uh, we left parenting uh, 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 back there a long time ago. And it's incredibly tiring, isn't it, looking after these little babies. So that's a real joy. And uh, so Joshua led the the song, Mike on the the drums. Uh, I sort of met those guys and they are are great guys. It's a great song. And uh, just to to sort of say that, you know, in the... I've got another daughter, Alison. She, she works in an inner city school in Nottingham where 78% of the kids are on free school meals. Uh, but it's where she's meant to be. And she's married. Just to say that, you know, sometimes we navigate the joys of life and sometimes the disappointments. So a week last Friday, Alison was three days away from signing contracts to move from the house they live in to a new house. And the guy that was buying from them bailed out, you know. And I said to her, I had a brick in my stomach, never mind about what you felt like, Alison. And we were just talking on Friday night over coffee about how at times we have to navigate disappointments because God really does know best. And God's really got us at heart and God never stops loving us. So you may be in a season where you're just celebrating and everything's fantastic. That's great. It may be that you come to church this morning and you have to navigate some disappointment in your life. God's still great. He's got it all sorted out. My, my, uh, my daughter and son-in-law want to live in a particular part of Nottingham. It's not defined by people reneging on commitments. It's designed by the destiny of God. 
and God's got a purpose and a plan for your life. And as Pastor Dave encouraged us this morning, that means we can always bring praise unto him. So this morning, I want to take you to James chapter 1. And when I have the joy of speaking out, which uh, I do from time to time, it's been a joy to serve on Pastor John Partington's national leadership team now for five and a half years and to see our national network of Assemblies of God be repurposed. We're the sixth biggest denomination in the world. Um, there's, there's over 70 million Assemblies of God adherents around the globe. In the last hundred years, out of that great move of the Spirit around about 1904-5, there are over 500 million people in the earth, I like statistics as well, there's over 500 million people in the earth that claim some Spirit-filled experience. That is only God's. God is pouring out His Spirit in the earth, friends, in these days and confronting darkness. So it's been a joy to serve. Uh, we have about 130 churches across the Midland counties from Lincolnshire right down into, if you like, the south of the area to Warwickshire, up into the Potteries, Nottinghamshire, Derbyshire, everything in between, in cities, in lovely towns like Leamington, uh, in villages, on, on some challenging estates. And this morning we've got great leaders all over the place, leading people in the praise of God and ministering the word. And it's just a joy to see all that God is doing. And we thank God for what he's doing and he's continued to do here. So in all of that, I'm very conscious that today I really just want in the next few minutes, and as I've listened this morning to Leanne and to Chris and, and to Dave, I realise that that's exactly what I'm do, going to do. I'm just adding value to your journey. I'm not trying to tip up every, every table in the next 30 minutes. I'm adding value to what your pastors and your leaders are, are already laying into you. And I sort of sense this morning that, uh, that hopefully there'll be a challenge to the word, but also very much a, a confirming of what you're doing, what you're doing. So James chapter 1, and I'm going to read uh, verse 26 uh, and 27. Those of you who know your Bible know that God, in, through his word, had been talking in the previous few verses about being doers of the word. Don't just be hearers, but be doers. Otherwise, we're like the person that looks in the mirror, and when they've moved away from the mirror, they forget what they look like. Now, you might want to do that at times. But spiritually speaking, that's not the case. In other words, the Bible's a mirror. It reveals. It opens things up. Sometimes uncomfortably so. Not because God doesn't love us, but because as we've heard this morning, he wants to take us further. What's the next step for us? And that great course, Freedom in Christ, is one great help in all of that. And then we get to verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I want to give a title to the message this morning that hopefully gives a little insight into where we're trying to go and it's contradictory. The title of the message is Religious Christianity. Religious Christianity. The book of James is a wonderful five-chapter book uh, that really encourages the practical expression of our faith. Martin Luther, who brought about the Great Reformation in Europe, when I say he didn't like James, I'm perhaps overhamming it a little bit, but he called James 
the epistle or the letter of straw. He loved Romans because Romans was his revelation that sparked the revival fires, that we're justified by faith. Didn't have to go through a priest, didn't have to pay penance, didn't have to kiss the steps up to the cathedral. We're absolutely made right with God through what Jesus did for us on the cross. It was the last thing that the early church lost. It was the first thing that Jesus restored to the church. So Luther saw to the practicality side, you know, but here's the truth. It's not a contradiction to a book like Romans. It's a complement to it. Romans talks about what God has done in us. James talks about what God wants to do through us. And our Christianity, our spirituality, must always have a practical element to it. Chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2 of James, faith without works or faith without actions is dead. I'll come back to that in a moment or two. So here's a call that seems contradictory. It's the only time in the New Testament that the word religion is used in a positive sense. So let's think for a moment about the negativity of religion. Jesus was corrosive in his words and attacks on religious people in the New Testament. Read it in the Gospels. You know, if anybody thinks that Jesus was just this meek and mild figure that just sat back, at times he stepped right in and spoke the word of the Lord because he was also a prophet. Prophets hear what others don't hear. They sense what others don't sense. And prophets speak what others won't speak. Jesus certainly did that. Religion, as we would define it, is a system of faith. I get people saying to me, see, the problem with your church is it's like every other. Religions, they've caused wars, they've caused disputes, they've caused conflicts. They have. They absolutely have. We cannot deny that. Across the earth today, friends, religion is causing issues. You've only got to watch the news or read your paper or be on the internet to realise that is true. And the religious spirit consistently and persistently plotted itself against Jesus. I don't have time to open it up this morning, but read, for instance, Luke chapter 5, verse 27, through into the opening verses of Luke 6, and you'll see the religious spirit coming against Jesus, complaining, accusing, fault-finding, plotting. When Jesus did miracles, the religious got angry. What's that about? But religious people hate life. Religious people hate the freedom of the spirit. Religious people really don't like Jesus coming in power because it confronts them with what they have not got and what they are masquerading in what they're claiming to be. In Matthew 23... Jesus refers to the religious. He says, your religion is burdensome, proud, external, powerless, critical, joyless, stubborn. So we've got it. Religion's not good. 
religion's bad. Religion causes problems. This church, you will hear your pastor no doubt say, is not into religion, it is into relationship. This is not a religious church. This is a relational church that calls out for people to find God and for God to find them and to realise there's nothing we can do in our efforts. We're saved by grace. And that's his unmerited favour. And it's through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Religion, friends, I believe, has caused more issues in the local church than ever we can realise. In, in Arena Church some years ago, and it proved to be a seminal series in the church, we talked about what sort of house we'd like the church to be. Now, a few months ago, in our little house at home, we needed a new damp course. And here we are, seven months later, and we've still not finished what we, the damp course has done, thank goodness. But the reality is, once that room had been done, guess what, ladies? My wife says, the other room needs doing. And when we've done that room, the hallway needs... We're still on a journey. We're still on a journey, trying to fit it in with everything else that's going on in life. But the reality is, we redefined the fact that our little old house needed, it needed a bit of a spruce up. And we decided what we'd like in and what we'd like out. In the second week of my holidays, we just spent, I was sort of on site every day. You know, I was sort of there, you know, big days. And on one day, we went into one of the bedrooms and decided that there's sort of like a room that needs, that sort of was the junk room. Anybody got a room that you just keep putting stuff there? And 25 bags later, going to the tip, we'd sort of emptied what we needed to get rid of. Things we didn't need anymore. Things that went back to primary school. We kept a few of them, but rubbish. Our kids are in the 30s. <laughs> it went on, but we defined what we wanted in the house. This church intentionally, through its leadership, has to continually define what it wants in the church. And we decided there were four things we didn't want in the church. Offense, control, rejection, and religion. And if you think, well, where did you get them from? Read the Gospels, because those four things continually came against Jesus. If they come against Jesus, they're going to try and find a house in the church. And we need to bolt the door to things that Jesus doesn't want in the house. So what about this end of J James 1 then? The, the, the word in the original language is theskia. It literally means an outward practice of the service of God. In other words, the only time that this word is used positively in the Bible is to undergird the whole message of the book of James. That out of our service and worship to God, there's an outward practice. One of the great commentators of history, Lightfoot, says, the writer purposefully uses this word against which... Uh, uh, to work, uses his word against that which is unreal and deceptive. In the next few moments, I'm going to give you three things that express true religious Christianity. Number one, conversation. Because the Bible says that those who are truly religious keep a right rein on their tongues. Otherwise, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. In other words, what we say is important. 
We know there have been extremes in the Christian church, friends, regarding confession. But it's like most things that run to extreme. Don't let the extreme take away from you the reality of truth. Right at the beginning of our Christian faith, Romans 10, 9, Jesus, uh, the word of God says that people come to him if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right at the beginning of our spiritual journey, a confession of Christ's lordship is vital. Again, in the original language of the New Testament, the word there is homologio. It means to speak the same as. When we start to speak the same as God speaking, that brings a great confession. It saves us from presumption that goes beyond what God has said. You can confess for that 150,000 pound car all you like. But if God's not said it, guess what? It's not happening. It's not happening. It also stops us from going against what God has said. The disease of the Western church, unbelief. We're, so often we're retreating from God. But when we confess as God is speaking about things, it brings us right into the very purpose and will of God. Earlier this year, I'm not even sure, you know when somebody sends you something and they scribble a note, and this scribble, I'm telling you, every doctor would have been proud of it because I, I still don't know where the book came from. I'm trying to look. He says, Phil, all I could recognize is Phil, and then there was a, you'll enjoy this. Thanks. And still, anyway, it was a book, but it was, about, it was a thin book. I put it on the bookshelf, but it was about daily confessions. At the beginning of the summer, I thought I'd read this book. I was really encouraged to take to heart again what God is saying about things and make God's confessions mine. So, in this little book, the writer takes people through the Psalms. Let me give you an example. Psalm 1, I'm not going to read it, but I am a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. Psalm 2, I am a child of the King in heaven and on earth. Psalm 3, I am shielded and protected and sustained by the Lord. Psalm 4, I will sleep in peace. If you've got a sleep issue, start to confess what God says about sleep over your life. He wants you to sleep well. I get leaders saying sleep's a waste of time. It's nonsense. It's a gift of God's. Replenish and restore. And the enemy wants to try and rob people. Psalm 5. The Lord surrounds me with favour. Can you see what God is confessing over us through his word becomes our confession and life begins to spring. So I don't want to be saying this morning, friends, extreme stuff about teaching. We all get it, uh, uh, speaking at times, we all get it wrong. But here's the truth. True religion is reflected in our speech. The Bible says, Jesus speaking to religious people, that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're going to work tomorrow in that office, in that hospital ward, on that factory floor, and there's a guy next to you cussing and swearing, you don't need a word of knowledge to know he's got a heart problem. <laughs> there's something in him that's embittered him, that's upset him, that's just... <sighs> Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
And as believers this morning and people on a journey to faith, God wants us to increasingly reflect our heart by what we say. The Bible says also that our words possess power. And also in Colossians 4, 6, that our conversation needs to be salt-like. In other words, it's pure and it's preservative. We don't have time to look at it this morning, but James 3, we've got a whole half chapter there on the power of the tongue or the power of conversation. We need to rule it. We need to pull something. No, I'm not going to say that. We need to rule it. We need to realize that it can rage and God, the word of God uses little things that have a, a great impact. The spark on the fire, the rudder on the ship, little things that can have a big impact. Because we need to get to the place where we're refreshing people, the, fruit, the, the beautiful spring and the fruitful tree. You don't need me to tell you that words can bind or bless, that words can wound or worship, that wounds can pull down or build up. The psalmist says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Brothers and sisters, our true religious Christianity will reflect itself in our conversation, in what we say. Number two, it reflects itself in our concern. In this particular context, the concern is to look after the orphans and the widows in need. But the wider application is that the church of Jesus Christ always has a heart for the marginalised and the disenfranchised of society. I don't know whether you realise, but particularly in our type of church, what we would call the spirit-filled, Pentecostal, charismatic church, there has been a great prophetic shift in the last 20 years, particularly in what we would call classic Pentecostalism. Because to our shame, to some degree, when classic Pentecostalism in this country began to find its feet, early 1920s, and saw great growth, passionate about preaching the word, passionate about praying for the sick, all fantastic, of course, but there was a sense of suspicion on certain groups within the evangelical church. And boy, we weren't going to get engaged with people that were just sort of community groups that didn't even claim to know faith. And the idea was that we'll preach the word and you do the works. Because there was a suspicion that they were liberal. They were watering it down. And all people needed was the gospel. Well, all people do need is the gospel. But the gospel is not just words. The gospel is works. The gospel is not just preaching. The gospel is coming alongside. One great leader of the um, of the Early ancient churches preached the gospel, and if you must, use words. He caught the balance. And what's taken place, I believe it's a prophetic thing, friends. There's our, as our society has increasingly become marginalized and fractured, as there has become a disparity within society between those that have and those that haven't, God has said to the church, are you going to have a prophetic input into your community? And one of the ways into it is not just through your preaching. I'm a preacher. I believe in preaching. As Pastor Dave confessed at the beginning, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But in all of that, also to reach out, to kneel down, to get the bowl uh, of water and the towel in our hand and to serve people in our community. And if we're asking the question, 
How many of them are going to get saved? That's the wrong question. We just do it anyway and let's see what God will do. Concern. And all across the central area of Assemblies of God, churches that would claim to be big and churches that would perhaps be smaller, I want to say without hesitation, every one of our progressive, well-led churches has got involved in that sort of concern ministry. I'm sat in the congregation here at Life Church, Leamington Spa this morning. I'm hearing, I'm reading about some in your new sheet about partnerships that you carry with other churches and, uh, and uh, bodies in the town in seeking to help people. I mean, I drive into Leamington Spa. I still get people saying to me, well, there's nobody in Leamington Spa with a need, is there? Because everybody that views it from afar sees this beautifully sort of, you know, lovely town hidden away in, in, in beautiful sort of royal county of Warwickshire and nobody thinks anybody's got a problem. I led a church for 16 and a half years in a village. I used to get people saying to me, well, there's no kids on drugs in that village, is there? If only they weren't. If only they weren't. And the malaise of society, friends, in terms of people turning away from God, literally has affected every community across our nation. And I'm so thankful that you almost gave a smirk to my comment because you understand the need of your community and want to reach it. So this morning I just say, keep going for it. The reality is that God's always been raising people up to meet need. Let me tell you the story about C.H. Spurgeon, one of my heroes of the faith, a great preacher in, in South London in the, uh, in the Victorian age, planted 68 churches into Kent and the southeast as well, 5,000 people on a Sunday. The Times used to preach print his sermon on a Monday morning. How about that? Dave, if you got your message in the local press every week, wouldn't that be awesome? <clears throat> he had a passion for kids, orphan kids. You can only imagine the challenges. And they used to have what they called the powerhouse on a, on a Monday night prayer meeting. And he asked the people to pray. And uh, sometime later, he got, a, he got a letter and a check. This was from a lady that didn't come to his church. In fact, she was the widow of a retired Anglican vicar. She says, God's placed something on my heart and she gave a check for a substantial amount of money. Um, in fact, it was £20,000. C.H. Spurgeon decided with the deacon that he needed to go and thank this lady. They found her address. It was very difficult. She wanted to seek to maintain anonymity. He said, thanks so much for the amazing gift of £200 that you gave to us for the start of our children's homes. She says, oh, did I make a mistake? 200 pounds? I thought it was more than that. And C.H. Spurgeon says, no, it said 20,000 on the check, but we thought you'd made a mistake and only wanted to give us 200. She says, no, 20,000 pounds. The equivalent today was several hundred thousand pounds. And Spurgeon's home still works today. It's a very recognized charity in the nation, starting from people that had a concern. Don't have time to open up, but never despise the day of small things. In arena church, out of team, people far better than me, I just tell the story. Our passion for concern was renewed around about seven years ago, and it all started with a splinter-infested pallet at the front of the church. It was a health and safety hazard, you know. And we said, let's put a few bags of shopping on here, because we realised that as we sessioned it in 2007-8, People on the doorstep of our church didn't have any food to eat. 
And so people came. We've now got a 9,000 square foot unit. Uh, we've now got uh, 70 volunteers that are helping. We've, we're now reaching out. We've literally, we've literally ministered out. Not because we've done it, but because it was, it was pathetic in one sense. But God, we just want to do something. And recently, in our town, there was an old wharves building that, that uh, closed uh, again, going back to 07, 08. An iconic building in the town. You know our town sort of run to buildings a bit more than cities. Got the curved windows, the wooden. Those of you that know Woolworths. And uh, Morrisons came into town. They had to give a quarter of a million back into the authorities to get um, the, uh, the right to build. And without us asking, this is absolutely true, the, the local authorities gave Arena Church £100,000 to restore Woolworths. And we're going to open that on the, November the 8th. It all started from a pallet. And I felt this morning that in all that you're doing, God's got more for you. God's going to give creative ideas, not wappy ideas, because they'll be submitted to the leadership. But creative ideas are going to fly in the church, renew passion. Some of you think you've got nothing to contribute because you're not a communicator, you're not up front, you're not a platform person. But I'm telling you, the best from you is yet to come. The best from you is yet to come. Because you're going to get impassioned about that. Number three, there was a cleanliness. Because it talks about keeping ourselves from being polluted by the world. I've talked a little bit about early Pentecostalism. It was very strong on separation. I mean, the pastor preaching without a tie on. You'd have been in the vestry afterwards, you know. Um, so it, it drove down. It's separation, well-intentioned. Sadly, at times became isolation. And people didn't feel they could join it. But the reality is, friends, that we cannot uh, overlook the challenge of being pure in this world. If you want another word, a Bible word, holy, different. Paul writing to the Philippians says, Be pure, children of God, in a crooked generation, that you, that, that you may shine as stars in the sky. I've got more statistics which I'm not going to, you'll be thankful for them, put upon you this morning, friends. But the lack of cleanliness that impacts our young generation today is frightening. The exposure to pornography and inappropriate images that have to be confronted is breathtaking. And in all of that, in a passion to reach this needy town, in a desire to be relevant, all of those things laudable, let's not forget, God's called us to be pure. He's called us to be clean. Clean in minds. Philippians 4.8, think on these things. Clean in heart, because out of it come the issues of life. Clean in motive, motives away by the Lord. Clean in body. You cannot divorce your physicality, how you live in the body, from your spirituality. The Bible says that your body, we know it's going to fade away one day, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. John Bevere says God's not looking for people to visit he's looking for people to inhabit so here we have it are we religious christians well no and yes and by taking all of the word of god today and as we're encouraged in the context of james 1 receiving it and responding to it we really do show the true side of religion it's in our conversation through our words it's through our concern by our works. And it's how we live in cleanliness in our ways. This really 
is the outward practice of the service and worship to God. And if we're going to have religion, let's have this religion. Let's pray. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For many more resources and for more information, visit our website at www.life-cc.org.